Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker. I'm sitting here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we are talking about the Halloween film franchise. So this is different from the history of Halloween. It is not the history of the holiday of Halloween. It is the history of every single Halloween film. And we're talking specifically about Halloween with Michael Myers, not just Halloween themed films. I mean, not all of them have Michael Myers. I know, but that's... Sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But you know what I'm saying. Boy, am I excited. (laughs) We're talking about the franchise of Halloween films. The movies. The movies, you know? Never heard of them? Michael Myers? Yeah, he was in uh, Austin Powers. (laughs) I want to say, as expected, there will be spoilers in this episode. Well, only for people who haven't seen every single Halloween movie, (laughs) of which there are 12. (laughs) And we just literally moments ago got home from seeing Halloween Kills in a theater. So we will have things to say about Halloween Kills. That's going to be totally at the end. So if you want to see that and you haven't seen it, we're not going to talk about it till the end. So the rest of the episode is still fair game for you. For the rest of you, we just assume that you've watched all 12 movies. Well, I think, listen, I think even if you haven't seen the, all of the films or any of the films, I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting filmmaking history, right? John Carpenter is such a pinnacle director of multiple genres. Jamie Lee Curtis is the ultimate horror final girl in different tons of different film franchises. You know, I think regardless, this is going to be, I'm hoping, an interesting episode for everybody, even if you're not like super into all of the Halloween movies. Uh, And also, just a note about this franchise compared to other horror franchises, this is not linear because (laughs) it doesn't, it's not one like one continuous story that builds on the next. Right. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. The franchise has been rebooted how many times? Five. Five. If you, Uh, if you're looking at technicalities. Yes, we are, we're, we are hyper-focused on technicalities. (laughs) Even if, like, you think you know what happens in the Halloween franchise, you might know just, like, one... Of the options. One timeline that's, like, multiple universes. Right. Yeah, and I think that's... I think it's a really good point to talk about at the beginning because the, the original Halloween is one of my favorite films of all time. I watch it every Halloween. It's a really important film to my family, right? I had seen like some of the initial sequels back when I was like 11 at a sleepover. Uh But beyond that, I hadn't seen like H2O, Resurrection. I have no memory of of the like, you know, two, four, five, six films. So we were really coming into this blank, you know, blank, blank, whatever, blank minds. And it's very interesting how it's been rebooted and there's a graphic I found online. I'll probably post it on Instagram and on our website. So you can, I think it's helpful to have like a visual because there, it is totally different as opposed to like, you know, Friday the 13th, which builds upon itself. Mm -hmm. It's these totally different timelines. And some of them like pick up at the second film. Some of them pick up at the first film. Some of them are totally on their own Island. So we're going to talk through it. Obviously we're going to talk through every film in order of their release but it is a little bit complicated because of that. It It is very complicated. Definitely more so than any other horror franchise I think we've tackled so far. Uh, I had only seen the original. And um, apparently I had seen <laughs> Halloween Resurrection. Yeah. Be- which we only discovered as we were watching it. And I'm like, oh my God, I know what happens next. 
Right. That but, was hilarious uh, and it, unexpected. Yep. <laughs> the thing that rem- that reminded you of it, too, was very funny. That's true. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, and I also had seen Halloween 2018. That's right. We went to see that in a theater when it came out. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yes, we will. So I will say this. I liked a lot of the you know subsequent films a lot more than I thought. Some I really didn't like. Some I really loved. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that. It's a strong franchise. Yeah, truly. And there's some, like, again, some of the timelines I really like. Some of the timelines I don't care for as much. But usually I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, man, Halloween sequels suck. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. That, I mean, again, I I feel like the people that say Halloween sequels suck are people that only caught Halloween Resurrection on TV sometime, as I clearly did. Right. Should we get? Should we make merch that says, that says Halloween sequels do not suck? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> okay. So again, spoiler alert. Right. You've been warned, but we will as we go through each one. We will. They're very clear. Right. Clearly defined in in this episode. So you'll be able to navigate. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Sources today: a Screen Rant article by Anthony McGlynn, which was super helpful. Tons of Wikipedia articles, IMDb pages for every single one of these films and actors and directors, and of course, every Halloween film ever made. Ever made. Well, uh, the official Halloween franchise. Right. Right. Not every Halloween themed film. Correct. That would be just so too long of an episode. (laughs) The first Halloween film was released on October 25th, 1978, and inspired a new subgenre of horror, the slasher film which would go on to totally redefine the genre. And it, okay, I'm going to say this. It is predated, right, by Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I know technically could be seen as slasher films. Yeah, but it's gross. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw is gross. But I, I my kind of, I'll just say this really quickly. Texas Chainsaw, I think, came out in 74, so four years before. To me, it's not, it's 80% a slasher film. It's not 100% because there's not one bad guy right there's or bad person there are multiple to this entire family oh, spoilers and right spoiler alert for texas chainsaw but it's just a little bit different it just has a little bit of a different vibe you know mm-hmm. it's not a chase in the same way these these teens go into their space so listen I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that disagree with me that's fine we don't have to split hairs over it but i do think that like Halloween predates Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play. I think when we think of slasher films, those are some of the films that come to mind. And Halloween was the first of that sort of grouping. Sure. Just to kind of give you a sense of the timeline. So slasher films, right, have lots of horror tropes that we come to expect. They have their kill scenes. They have deaths usually of the sexually active teens <laughs> or the really annoying characters, right? The dad, that's a total dick, usually first to go. And they are a single menacing antagonist most of the time. If you would like a more thorough breakdown of the slasher genre, just watch Scream. Right. Because there's the whole scene about it. Scream is a wonderful, I think, example of a slasher film, right? That comes out after Halloween, but because to your point there's so many callbacks within it to breaking it down and the teens are explaining it as they're doing it love 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 scream i watched scream this week it's fresh in my mind they're making a scream uh a reboot we uh, just saw apparently. the trailer for it yeah. yeah is it a reboot it seems like a sequel sorry a sequel yeah 
See, th- we have to be very careful with our terminology here. Should we define that now? Sure. Okay, uh, so sequel comes after, reboot slash remake is the same thing? Like a total re-examination of the first film? A remake... Yeah, I guess a remake and a reboot are interchangeable. Okay. I'd say if we're really splitting hairs, a remake follows the original source material uh, a bit faithfully, where a reboot is just like we're taking what we want and doing and getting rid of the rest and making up our own. Here's the thing that's confusing to me about that, because we have Scream has sequels already, right? Mm -hmm. And this film we saw in the trailer, it's nothing we're spoiling. Sydney Prescott is in it. Courtney Cox is in it. There's lots of returning characters. So it's to your point, it is certainly a sequel, but it's called Scream. And it's the same premise as Halloween 2018. It, it has Jamie Lee Curtis. It, it takes place after the first film. It's a sequel, but they're just calling it the same thing. Yeah. Which is like annoying. Right. Uh, and I've actually, this has been a trend where they just call the franchise, they just call the movie what the name of the franchise is and then just you identify it by the year. Right. Like, yeah, Scream 2021 or whatever. Godzilla Godzilla 2016. Right. The Halloween franchise now consists of 12 films. That may be counting Halloween Ends, which will come out next year, but is it? 12 films. Oh. Not uh, to mention the video games, novels, and comic books. There's video games? There are video games. There's a Halloween game for Atari. Okay, that sounds exciting. <laughs> and there is a more modern game where where Michael Myers makes a, an appearance, right? I forget the name. It's there's chapters. Okay. And each so, chapter is like a different like uh, you know, okay. bad guy. So we just googled this. Uh apparently Michael Myers so there's it's not like an official Halloween video game. Uh it is there's two games that feature Michael Myers. Right. One is Call of Duty Ghosts, which yes. has a mode where one player plays as Michael Myers, I guess, and so you run fun. around with an axe and have to fight people right. uh, as they are, I don't know, soldiers, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, the, I, honestly, that sounds pretty fun. Um, <laughs> and the other is Dead by Daylight, which Dead is by Daylight, a yeah. pretty famous video game for incorporating horror franchises mm. as like special like you oh that was the game you're talking about with like chapters right right which i don't know it it almost seems like they're like little um little mini dlc campaigns i don't know how the game works i just know it's it's a it's a cooperative survival game horror Mm -hmm. survival game cool um does cooperative mean like multiplayer cooperative means that yes it's multiplayer but you're on the same team right it's usually you guys against the game as opposed to uh, competitive other, yeah right right so yeah everyone's on the same team but unlike until dawn we could actually play together side by side instead of pass and play correct cool that'd be fun yeah well not side by side that would be that would require couch co-op oh well we could play in our own apartments we can and or be on zoom or something or we can just drag tvs next to each other with mm-hmm. playstations yeah there you go land party <laughs> land party yeah but yeah uh, dead by daylight actually seems like a really interesting thing to explore uh some other featured villains um so you have michael myers from halloween you have leatherface from texas chainsaw Mm -hmm. you have ghostface from scream who else we got here uh pinhead from hellraiser and just the list just keeps going fun that would be really cool we should definitely do that yeah maybe we should do it on twitch or something we'll do it on twitch yeah i don't know how to do it we'll have to contact the metal beast (laughs) 
So collectively, the Halloween film franchise, and keep in mind, this is like uh, the most up-to-date data I found when I was researching, but obviously the numbers are still coming in for Halloween Kills. But collectively, with the most updated data that I that I could find, over four hundred views. The films have grossed over six hundred and forty million dollars, which puts Halloween as the most successful horror franchise in the U.S. The original Halloween. Wait, wait, wait! In the U.S., not right. the world. Right. What's the world? Wow. What? So uh, I just not to contradict your information. Okay, here we go. But. Uh, the top 10 highest grossing horror franchises of all time globally perhaps okay uh number one the conjuring at 2.1 billion dollars what i think that my numbers are saying is that they've grossed 640 million in the u.s which is more than other films have grossed in the u.s sure so if that's a global number then that might that our numbers are still correct but what i'm interested in the rest of the list yeah, Halloween actually doesn't come in until number nine hmm. uh, at six hundred and forty-two million. Oh, okay. So interesting. So um, maybe I'm maybe I'm totally wrong. So just a quick read of the list. Yeah. Number one being The Conjuring, which apparently is a very profitable film franchise. Sure. I also wonder how much of this is adjusted. You know, I, I don't know what that means. Like if it if Halloween in nineteen seventy eight grossed whatever. Oh, That's sure, worth a sure. lot more now. You know what I mean? Right. Which, sure. At number two, you have Alien. Okay. Uh, one, I would say that's not horror, but okay. $1.72 billion. Okay. I think a lot of people disagree with you. Yep, that's fine. Then <laughs> number three is the Resident Evil franchise. Wow, shocking. Didn't expect that. I guess maybe counting the video games? Nope. <laughs> oh. Well, what the fuck do I know Just about the, the movies. Film? Holy cow. Just read them off. I'm curious. Next comes It at one point. One seven billion, which is just the original and then the remake. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't really. I guess. I guess that's a film franchise. Then you have Saw one point zero one billion. Well, there's it has the remake and a sequel to the remake. Right. It's it's two parts. Yeah. Yeah. Do you say Saw is next? Saw is next. Mm-hmm. Then comes Hannibal at six. So what? Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Hannibal, Red Dragon. Yeah. Hannibal Rising. I haven't seen any of those actually, besides the original. Uh, they're good. Some of them. <laughs> Next is Paranormal Activity at seven with $890 million. Wow. I, there's a lot of movies of Paranormal Activity, though. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. At least three. At eight is Final Destination at $665 million. Wow. Maybe, so maybe Halloween is the most uh, profitable slasher film, right? Slasher franchise. Because I don't think like you can put Halloween against The Conjuring. You know, those are like different types of films, really. It's interest actually. To your point, so I'm reading more on this article, which is a Screen Rant article, by the way. Of the 642 million, yeah, which seems like a lot of money, right? That gets really diluted once you space it out over 12 movies. Sure. But Halloween from 2018 was 255 million. Exactly. Yeah, I remember. Was like over. Yeah. Yeah. So a huge chunk of that was just the modern. So I think nothing is accounting. Nothing is accounting for inflation, right? Because I was going to say, like, you have the success of Halloween, the original, but that can't compete with the success in terms of inflation with The Conjuring, right? You know, like that's totally different. Right? Because you know, whatever. If the original grosses five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, that's still enough to buy like five houses back then, right? 
Yeah, like five houses. <laughs> okay, that's fascinating. Thank you for, for uh, fact-checking me live on the air. We you're, love for that. You're welcome. Yeah. And just to finish the list, because yes. there's literally just one more. Okay, yeah. Scream. There you go. 608 million. Love Scream. Maybe Scream... Well, because Scream is the reboots... Or sorry, the re, the sequel is coming out in January. Maybe we'll do a, a history of for Scream. Maybe, but we don't like making promises. That's right. Okay, so the very basic, right, of the original plot of, of Halloween, just so everyone can sort of get in the same headspace here. Okay. Halloween night, 1963. Michael Myers is six years old. He's wearing a clown costume because he's going trick-or-treating. His teenage sister is fooling around with her boyfriend. Michael is watching, right? The whole first scene of, of Halloween is one take. It's incredible. I love it. We follow through the eyes of Michael. We watch through like the eye, the eye holes in the mask. As he watches all of this, he grabs the knife. The boyfriend leaves. He goes up. He stabs his sister right while she's brushing her hair after she's had sex. His parents come home. That's how it starts. He's then put into a, and I'm not sure what the correct word is now, sanitarium. Mental institution. He's put into a mental institution for many years until Halloween night, 1978. He breaks out. He steals a car. Dr. Loomis is like his, you know, doctor that's warning everybody. He goes back to Haddonfield, Illinois, where he's from, and he kills babysitters, right? That is what happens in the first film. I mean, a few other things happen, but that's the gist. Right. I'm saying, like, all of the other things that come in later with Lori being his sister, none of that is original. Okay. So that's, like, the very basic, right? The first Halloween film was released again on October 25th, 1978. It was written, directed, and produced, and the music was composed by John Carpenter. Though Halloween was not Carpenter's first film, it was overwhelmingly his best, predating The Fog and The Thing. The screenplay was co-written by Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who has co-written and produced many of Carpenter's films. It took Carpenter and Hill only 10 days to write the script. And sadly, just to know, because we're going to talk a lot about Deborah Hill today, Hill sadly passed away in 2005 from cancer, but she made a huge contribution to this franchise and a lot of the work of Carpenter, including The Fog and, and other really iconic films that he's made. Mm. This is what Deborah Hill had to say about the screenplay, quoting here. The idea was that you couldn't kill evil. And that was how we came about the story. We went back to the old idea of Samhain, that Halloween was the night where all souls are let out to wreak havoc on the living, and then came up with the story about the most evil kid who ever lived. And when John came up with this fable of a town with a dark secret of someone who once lived there, and now the evil has come back, and that's what made Halloween work. End quote. Cool. Hill actually wrote most of the female dialogue in the film, and it's, it's actually kind of a cool thing, I think, that John Carpenter during the co-writing phase, right? Like mm -hmm. they both drew a lot on their own experiences of being teenagers and, and the things that they would say to other people. Sure. So Deborah Hill really like wrote the female characters and John Carpenter wrote the male characters. That's great. Big fan of co-writers yeah. where one person is only in charge of dialogue. Yeah, for sure. Which I know they kind of divvied it up, but like I feel like that always adds uh, a, a breath of fresh air to a lot of scripts. Yeah, realism too, to write what you know versus mm -hmm. trying to write something that you're not is not organic to you. And some people are storytellers and some are just talkers. Right. And you put them together and you make a really cool movie. Mm -hmm. So let's spend a little bit of time on the origin of this franchise because it's, I think it's very important. It sets mm -hmm. the tone. Carpenter's film Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976 was screened at the Milan Film Festival. 
where independent film producer Erwin Yablins and financier Mustafa Akkad saw it. They decided that they wanted to work with Carpenter and approached him to direct a project that they had in mind about a killer who stalks babysitters. Mm-hmm. The script was originally titled The Babysitter Murders, and Erwin Yablin suggested that that be changed, and he also is the one who introduced the idea that this should take place on Halloween. A great idea, if you ask me. A great, great idea. Akkad financed the film's $300,000 budget, though he had doubts but Carpenter was able to convince him. Essentially, they said in the article by like recounting, Carpenter sat down with Akkad and told him like scene by scene what happens. And he did it with so much tension that like Akkad just listening to him talk about it was like scared and like was on the journey of it and was like sold, sure, take the money. Cool. And it's the thing that really put the cherry on, on top of the ice cream sundae was that John Carpenter agreed not to take a director's fee for the film. Just Just some points on the film probably. Well, this is going to come into play. But Halloween was the third feature that Carpenter directed. Here we go. Carpenter was actually mad later on, and we're going to talk about this as it comes up, because he didn't make any money off of Halloween. And he felt like because it was such a big success, he was owed that. Like, it really was his vision, his story. Yeah. Famously, the budget was very, very low. The my like, you know, $300,000, even for that time, was very low, right? Mm -hmm. The Myers mask is actually a William Shatner mask that was adopted by the art department and sort of changed to become the iconic Michael Myers mask. But the the mask cost them $1.98. Like, that's how low budget this film was. I mean, yeah, the, the, the William Shatner mask is definitely the, the, the little staple, little fun yeah. fact of the movie. It's so fun. It's, like, so silly, you know? <laughs> like, I wonder how William Shatner felt about it. Like, how do they decide that? They're just like, ah, this mask, yeah, like, this mask is weird enough and... Not what someone would expect. I hope they approached William Shatner to be in the film and he said no. And this is how they sort of did it. They're like, well, then we're going to use your likeness. Fuck you. The original film stars a 19 year old Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, a role she will reprise many times over the years. It also stars PJ Souls as Linda, Nancy Keys as Annie, Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, also a role that he will reprise. And also... Now, real housewife and aunt of Paris Hilton, Kyle Richards, as Lindsay. Nick Castle was the original The Shape. Paris Hilton's wife? Aunt. Did I say wife? Yeah. No, I did So Kyle Richards is a real housewife now, and she just happens to be Paris Hilton's aunt. She's on the show Real Housewives. Gotcha. But she plays, she plays Lindsay, the child in the film. Oh, gotcha. And was then it? she was again in Halloween Kills that we saw today. I see. And then Nick Castle plays the shape, and the shape is Michael Myers, right? That's how he's credited in the first film. It's, oh, so even in the first one, he's credited as the shape? That's the only one until the reboot, or the whatever, the sequel of the same name. Interesting. Why? I don't know. The shape of evil. He has a name, you know. It's, yeah. So Halloween was filmed over 20 days in May of 1978. Most of the film was shot with a steady cam, which was new technology at the time. Wow, really? Yeah. That's cool. And here is a little uh, quote for you. Mm-hmm. Carpenter worked with the cast to create the desired effect of terror and suspense. According to Jamie Lee Curtis, Carpenter created a fear meter because the film was shot out of sequence, and she was not sure what her character's level of terror should be in certain scenes. So he'd say things like, here's about a seven, here's a six, and the scene we're going to shoot tonight is a nine. That's very helpful. And so, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis had, like, different facial expressions and scream volumes for each level on the fear meter. 
thought that was just like a cool little director's moment. Sure. It is universally known by most critics as one of the most important early slasher movies, taking inspiration from Psycho and Black Christmas. It's really interest it's a really interesting example of an early slasher film, I think, because and this is my and I think part of this is due to the low budget, but it, it kind of has a lot of the mystique, if you will, of like a psycho. In in the way Hitchcock isn't graphically showing things in the way that like, you know, modern films do. Yeah. I think Halloween being A of the early movement of these movies and B with the budget restraints. Mm-hmm. It really, A, becomes a film that lasts a long time because there's not gimmicky shit that doesn't age well. And B, there's not a lot of super violent... Like, you see the bodies after, but a lot of the kill scenes are done in shadow. There's, like, scary moments, right. but it's it's kind of hidden. You it's leave more your so mind implied. to fill in the blanks. Exactly. So I that's one of the reasons why I think, like, Halloween is something I really enjoy versus, like, a Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street because they're a little bit more graphic and halloween i enjoy the the way that that violence is handled just for my own personal taste sure no no disrespect to any of the other greats you know and the mystique of the violence and really not showing too much gore was really mastered once they got to the rob zombie remake (laughs) yeah uh exactly that's that's sarcasm everybody they're disgusting also, you know, Laurie Strode, I think, is is just such an iconic female horror character. She's a final girl. She's she's smart, right? And I know there's a lot of complexity when we talk about horror and, like, virginity and sexuality and how women are portrayed. But I think for a lot of us, like, Laurie Strode has become iconic, right, and meaningful because of what she represents. And so we got a shout out to her for that, for sure. Sure. Carpenter, of course, famously composed the score of the first three films, the iconic music that we all know and love. Which we'd play for you now if we wouldn't get sued. You know, like that. That's it. You just heard it there, folks. So he chose essentially to to play a piano melody in 5-4 rhythm instead of a symphonic soundtrack. It's just something that was a little more basic, really boiled down, but of course really effective uh, at invoking fear. I think it's the most... Can you think of more iconic film music? No. Can you think of any other iconic film music? Not right now. Nope. (laughs) All I can hear is the Halloween soundtrack. It's just such a perfect fit, and it's so simple that it will, when you hear it, and even the do-do-do that you hear in that movie, in like, yeah, in like the the remakes and things, Uh it's just such a, like, there's something so nostalgic about it, you know? I wonder, the, the only film soundtrack that I can think of that might be more iconic? Maybe Jurassic Star Park. Star Wars? Oh, fucking Star Wars. Do, 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 do. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> okay. So after the first film was released, a novelization was published a yeah, year later. Yeah, fucking Star Wars, of course. <laughs> yeah, our minds are, we're, we're very like We've been watching <laughs> so many Halloween movies. The novel was written by Curtis Richards and mirrors the story of the film, but it also shows readers more of Meyer's time in the hospital and a bit about the festival of Samhain. Last thing I want to say about film one. Yes. Actually, this is going to apply to most Halloween films, all except Rob Zombie onwards. Okay. The whole idea of Michael Myers just being like pure evil and not a man, that always came to me as just exposition. You never really saw it. He never, you never really saw him be supernatural. Oh, that's a great point. I would love to talk about that for a second. Sure. He is, right? I think 
that is he is not supernatural. Yep. He is a guy. He has these these qualities about him which evolve in later films to become like you're like how the fuck are you not dead right people shoot him and do all kinds of shit to him that being said especially if we're looking just at the first film right now yeah he's just a guy we see that he's a child at one point we see him grow Mm -hmm. and obviously there's some sort of mental like right he's portrayed as like a psychopath or a sociopath or whatever like some sort of extreme mental condition Mm -hmm. but there's no trauma that we see there's no other kind of like explanation of that And I think that he is sort of this, like, he's totally mysterious, even though we know a bit about him. There's, there's like that yearning for what's the reason, like what's why the why of it. Yeah. I like, obviously in later ones, they're just going to go deep into the mythos to try to drive home the why. But in this, it just. It's what every other film tries to do. (laughs) Right. In this, he's just crazy. Yeah. And, and there's no, again, familial thing with him and Laura yet. Like he's just killing women yep. he's just stalking and people not just women he's they just, just stalking him, and killing teenagers they yeah. made him ambiguous and creepy right but also just a guy that you know what you can take him out with a clothes hanger right he came back because it was and there's hints to it right there but you're yes there are there's like okay something happened with his sister he steals his sister's headstone like there is some hints there it seemed, but yeah he is fault like fallible in this one it almost seems like he has some kind of mental condition yep. that just lets him basically just shut off pain. Right. Do whatever. You can do crazy feats of strength when you can sacrifice your own body. It's just odd that there's no repercussions for doing so. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like malignant. Mm-hmm. Despite the low budget, Halloween brought in $47 million from the U.S. box office and $70 million worldwide. Ooh making it one of the most profitable independent films of all time. John Carpenter kicking himself. Yeah, right? But So he doesn't get any money from that, but or from for the director's side. Yeah. But they spent $300,000 on this film. It brought in $70 million. So just the delta of that, regardless of inflation, sure. is vast, right? Halloween 2, 1981. Shall we? Here we go. The great thing about Halloween 2, in my opinion, is that it's a true sequel, right? It's a continuation of the same night of the first film, which mm. I think is very clever. I love that. Is it? I think so. I think it's cool. It picks up right where the first film leaves off. It's not like, oh, 20 years later. It's like, oh, let's just finish out this night. Yeah. You know, let's see what happens right after he disappears because they leave us on a cliffhanger. And again, instead of being like, oh, because all the other films are like 20 years later, 15 years later. It's like, oh, nope. where did he go? And he left the backyard. Let's go find out. Yeah, I suppose I'm not thinking it's super clever and original mm-hmm. because I'm looking at it through a modern lens. Sure. I mean, I, I, I guess it's just like it's neat. It's tidy. I'm here for it. I didn't know that that's what the sequel was. I was ex- I guess that's why I like it because it's simple. Yeah. And all of the other films that come after for in the Halloween franchise are so fucking complicated <laughs> that this is just like the same thing. But here's more. Yeah. You guys loved it. Here's more. Great. So I don't know. I think, again, it works well, I don't think a ton happens in it. There's there's not a lot of like plot character development, but there isn't either in the first. No, it, it, because Halloween 2 hits the ground running. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with action. Yep. You just keep the action up. Yeah. We have Jamie Lee Curtis and Dr. Loomis return, mm-hmm. which I think is nice. It makes it feel like a real, uh, you know, a sequel, right? Right. And the, I think the main important plot point that emerges in the film 
is that Michael is actually Laurie's brother. And then every single other film, regardless of the timeline, uh, most of them take that into account. And they don't really explain it super well, uh, but they dive into it in later movies, how the Myers family was just like super fucked up. Right. And had to give up a child Mm -hmm. early on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like Lori was part of the Myers family and then she was adopted and lived. Oh, weird. Only three houses away. Which they add symbolism to in later movies of like, it's just fate and everyone's drawn together when this big nexus of evil energy. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of trying to explain it into existence for sure. One fun fact. This is the only Halloween film to show the morning after. All of the others, all of the others end on Halloween night. None Mm. of them end on daylight except for this film. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So Michael's quote unquote death scene uh, is often cited as one of the most memorable in all of the remakes and sequels. And it's certainly the hardest to explain away. And I will tell you why. Okay. Because this was meant to end the Michael Myers saga. Sure was. This was meant to be the end. This was meant to be his final death. He He's like dead, right? They they shoot him. They put him in a car. They light the car on fire. They watch him burn. You watch like the corpse disintegrate. And then he comes back later. But here's a fun fact. Mm-hmm. The mask that Michael wears in Halloween 2 is actually the same exact mask that he wears in Halloween 1. And there's, it's like, it looks different because the paint has actually faded and they had to like try to do some things to fix it, but it's the same mask. They only had one? For the first two, they had one mask, yeah. That's great. So as someone that works in the movies, when you have a absolutely key prop or wardrobe item, right, that is so iconic and you need it, you'd have multiple He's doing stunts, right? Yeah. What if it got ripped? They would just have to put it into the plot that it's ripped for the rest of the franchise. I mean, yeah, I guess they just like didn't need one. You <laughs> That's know? crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a little quote from IMDb. To get the role of Michael Myers, Dick Warlock revealed that he passed by a room. His name is Dick Warlock? Dick, War- Dick Warlock, friends. So he passed by a room and the Michael Myers mask was on a table So he puts the mask on, walks into Rick Rosenthal's office, who was the director of the second film, and he just stands there. And Rosenthal continually asks him who he is, and he doesn't reply. Then he finally takes the mask off and asks if he can play Michael Myers. And Rosenthal's like, sure. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Great. So it was, again, directed by Rosenthal, written by Carpenter and Hill. So John Carpenter had a lot of issues with Rosenthal's original version of Halloween 2. So much so that Carpenter eventually took over editing. He felt it was too tame. And so he shot and added additional gory scenes himself to Halloween 2. Oh, John. And of course, you know, to the annoyance of Rosenthal. But Rosenthal was purposefully trying to avoid showing gore and kill scenes because exactly what we just said, right? The first film does not. Mm -hmm. And this was Carpenter's initial vision for the sequel as well. But with the rise of the violent slasher films at the box office, Carpenter knew that they needed to sort of change their vision in order to create a successful film. Think about it now. So we just watched Halloween Kills. Yeah. If we go and watch Halloween Ends. Yeah. And it is just a super tame character piece. I'm going to be disappointed. Sure. I mean, yeah, you and there's a lot of that, I think, in this, which is interesting. It's sort of like figuring out what's in the box office at the time, mm-hmm. right? Like Halloween H2O feels like a scream film. You know, there's a lot of things that sure, as sure we does. go out, 
where or as we go through where they adjust the vibe of Halloween to match what audiences are looking for during different eras. Yeah. Which is an interesting like study in horror evolution. Yeah. I mean the franchise has been going on for forty two years. Yeah. Forty three? I don't know. I'm just saying. Holy that. Con- I'm not yeah. going to check. Forty-three now. years. Forty-three years. Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Right. Yeah. Seventy-eight. Two thousand twenty-one. Yeah. So, uh, just a note: Rosenthal goes on to direct Halloween Resurrection. The best of the friend. It's not true. It's, <laughs> I don't like it. Remember um, that I mentioned Carpenter didn't believe he was paid fairly for the original film. I do recall you saying as such. So he also felt that it should have been a standalone movie, not a franchise. He didn't want anything to do with the project, despite he got an offer to direct. Uh huh. The only reason that he and Deborah Hill joined as writers and producers is because the studio offered him a lot of money and he wanted to earn back what he felt he was owed from the success of the first movie. Sure. So Halloween 2 brought in $25.5 million in the U.S. box office despite its $2.5 million budget. They're just cranking. This is just printing money. But they went, but yeah, but they did go from 300,000 to 2.5 million. I would say it doesn't feel like it has, except for the kills, right? Yeah. That's but, like a big jump in budget. But for a sequel, that's mm-hmm. doing great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it makes it makes back its money. And that's just in the U.S. For some reason, for half of the films, there's only U.S. numbers available. Sorry, I don't want to say for a sequel. For a horror sequel, sure. that's doing great. Yeah, yeah, sure. Avengers to Avengers 2 is another story. Yeah, Yeah, that's very fair. So it wasn't a smash hit in terms of gross revenue, but it did come in higher than any other 1981 horror movies, which includes the sequel to Friday the 13th, The Howling, and The Final Conflict. It's also around this time that Jamie Lee Curtis is officially labeled as a scream queen. A scream queen? A scream queen. So between 1978 and 1981, she starred in Halloween 1, Halloween 2, The Fog, Road Games, Terror Train and Prom Night and most of those released in 80 and 81. So she was like the horror girl. So, you know, so Halloween really skyrocketed her into like a career for sure. Sure. Time for Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch from 1982. Well, I think this is going to be one of my favorites of the No, you of don't. Of the bunch. Yeah, I love this. It's a great you movie. do not. It's a great movie. The third film in the Halloween franchise is a very interesting moment in time. The original intention was to turn the franchise into different vignettes of terrifying things that happen on Halloween nights, right? Thus, the season of The Witch has literally nothing to do with Michael Myers or Laurie Strode. It's just spooky Halloween stuff. Right, which perhaps explains why the Myers death scene again in Halloween 2 is so dramatic because it was literally meant to end the Michael Myers story. But because the film did not include Myers and audiences were expecting him, it did not do very well. Again, this film, it literally has nothing to do with the rest of the franchise. No, and I really like this movie. If it didn't have, if it just had a different title, if it wasn't part... Just the season of the witch. Yeah, if it wasn't... Even though, what, I don't, where's the witch? They talk about it in like one monologue. The film called the season of the witch, I'm here for a witch, you know? Yeah. The whole reason that I resonated with this movie specifically is because there's a jingle that plays on the radio all throughout the film. Yeah. Uh, for Silver Shamrock, uh, which is the comp- the fake company that makes Halloween masks. And this jingle had, like, I'd heard it a hundred times 
before seeing this movie, not knowing it was from this movie, mm-hmm. simply because it's sampled on uh, Halloween's album, uh, Walls of Jericho. Halloween? Halloween, yeah. Is that that's a musical artist? The, the Yes, the musical artist <laughs> metal band. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, k- killer album. <laughs> and it's sampled in the, fir- in the first track, Starlight. Can you please give us a little, a little sample yourself? Uh, it's, to, it's to the tune of London Bridge, mm-hmm. and it just counts down uh, the days to Halloween and then says Silver Shamrock at the end. All right. So you have the formula, folks. You can do it yourself. Now. Yes. So, yeah. Every, and every time that Jingle plays, I'm reminded of a fantastic metal album. However, cool. all throughout, it's a great standalone horror film. I yeah. think so. I mean, sure. If Again, if it wasn't part of the Halloween franchise, I think it would have done so much better. It would have started its own franchise, probably. Yeah. But, it, you know, it got lumped in. But I, th- we did a little research on this because, like, we're watching this. Like, what the hell's going on here? Where's Mike? You're right, because we went in blind. When we had, I had no idea that this was a total outlier. It, well, in the world of Season of the Witch, they're at a bar in Halloween number one is yeah. playing on a TV in That's the bar. That's how we knew. And we're like, oh, this is a parallel universe. This yeah. is cool. Yeah. The John Carpenter-verse. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so you have this this town making Halloween masks, and the Halloween masks, when put on people, kill the people, cause the people to become homicidal. What? It brings a plague of spiders and snakes. Oh, right. Causes their body to explode with like Bugs. plague beasts. Yeah. And and it's like triggered by the commercials for the 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 jingle is what triggers that. Yep, right, because you're they're using the masks as like the sacrificial daggers almost right. and sacrificing anyone who has one on. Right. And anyone in the vicinity as it releases the plague beast. It's just kind of badass. Yeah, no, it's definitely you're right. It definitely is not a inherently bad movie. It's just such a like, and I think that would be cool. It would have been cool if we had a, a Halloween franchise with the idea that every film is a different, totally different story that takes place on Halloween. Like, I think that's cool. I mean, I guess that's kind of what they try to do with American Horror Story. Right. Just like different vignettes. But yeah, keep it under the umbrella. Right. But I mean, I understand it. You know, Michael Myers is what people were there for. Yeah. And if he's not in the movie, don't call it Halloween. Right. Yep. I also just think it's like they didn't realize what such a hit that they had, you know? Sure. So The Season of the Witch was written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who was a longtime collaborator of Carpenter. And Jamie Lee's voice actually has a cameo in the film. It does? She, I think she's like announcing the train schedule or she's a phone operator. She just has like a voiceover <laughs> moment. That's funny. One other fun fact where they filmed the film, Santa Mira, and where it takes place is actually the location um, where the invasion of the body snatchers takes place. Is, that a, is it a real town? Yeah. Oh, okay. And again, despite its $2.5 million budget, the film only grossed $14 million in the U.S. So it makes back its money. Still but, making a lot of money. But, you know, it was not critically received super well. Closing thoughts on Halloween 3. Great movie. I like it. It's a lot of fun. Watch it. Give it a chance. Yeah. It, it, it has a cult following for a reason. Sure. Halloween 4, The yeah. Return of Michael Myers from oh, 1988. Geez, here we go. This is where things start to get a little wonky. Yes, this is... Okay, so now we are on the first... We're just going to ignore Halloween 3 now because it really isn't uh, relevant to our Michael Myers timeline. Uh, it is. Once we get to Halloween Kills. Okay, but right now we are... We are... The branch that we are branching into... It's Halloween 1, 2, 4, 5, 6. That's mm-hmm. the first one we're exploring. Okay? Mm-hmm. So now we're at 4. 
Halloween 4 brings Myers back into the picture. It's literally called The Return of Michael Myers. The very, very quick overview is that Myers has been in a coma. It's been 10 years, right? We're, we're picking up after the sequel. While he's being transferred facilities, which they always seem to do, he always seems to wake up and he escapes after he learns that he has a niece in Haddonfield. So the niece is named Jamie, not Jamie Lee Curtis. Her name is just Jamie as a character. Uh, and she's technically the daughter of Laurie Strode. So Jamie Strode, uh-huh. no, Laurie's I, daughter, becomes sort of the main character in 4, 5, and 6. That that I, I follow. Dr. Loomis returns. Laurie Strode does not return for 4, 5, or 6. And she's dead in the films. She's It's just sort of not addressed, yeah. Like, the daughter is with a foster family, so you assume, but, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's addressed at some point. I just don't remember. Yeah, it's Again, not important We're swimming way. in Halloween knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and it's really hard to pull out individual facts. <laughs> um, however, I don't recall him being, uh, him escaping during a transfer. So he's on, he's in like, uh, he's laying down in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And they're pumping him, like the doctor has to like inject him with stuff to keep him like sedated or whatever. And the nurse and the doctor are talking over him and they're saying like, oh, he has a niece and, oh, you know, like whatever. They're like, that's the exposition of the film. He hears that one of them walks out of the room, he kills the other and then he kills the first. Okay. So the first bunch of kills in that movie are at this hospital. So they just sort of ignore the fact that he like totally died and they're like oh well he was in a coma since the he died in two and we just put him in this hospital oh gotcha so he didn't die he oh right they pull him out and they pull him from the thing in a stretch like oh they got a pulse right they don't say that but oh he's got a pulse we got a pulse yeah something like that yeah again four takes place after two ignoring three one cool thing that some halloween films do is call back to the original characters from the first film and we'll see this again in six. But in four, there's actually a teenage character named Lindsay. Okay. Who drives Rachel, who's Jamie's foster sister, and Jamie to a gas station. Mm-hmm. She was originally meant to be Lindsay Wallace, the little girl from the original Halloween film that Lori was babysitting. Uh-huh. And she was meant to have like a bigger role in the film. But because of budget reasons, they cut that. So that's just like a little Easter egg that there's still like this teen character named Lindsay who is meant to be Lindsay Wallace, but she's just Lindsay for now. Gotcha. This film is a pure slasher movie, which at the time stood out and not in a good way against the over the top horror films of the same year. So this is an example of when the Halloween franchise didn't really evolve to meet what was happening in the market. Right. So I think we have gremlins, we have evil dead, and then we have Halloween four, which is, Graphic and violent doesn't have a lot of humor. There's not a lot of jokes going on or self-awareness. It's just a pure horror film, which again is totally fine. But in the year that it came out, sure, it stood out against kind of the vibe of the other horror films that came out. I mean, Gremlins is cute. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. cute. It's not anything like Halloween 4, which is not no. cute. So quick story again. Haddonfield is just so triggered that Myers is back. They're like really fucking pissed which is understandable. And they launch like a huge mob and they try to corner him. And the film ends with like this big scene at the high school, but, but he is on a mission to get Jamie. And that sort of becomes his motivation in every other Halloween film. Now is that he's on a mission to kill his family, to kill the Strodes, to kill. Yes. Anybody who he's related to. Yep. And he finds out that Jamie is his uh, niece. niece. Yeah. Yeah. So again, quoting from IMDb, 
series creator John Carpenter wrote a treatment for the film that had a more ghostly psychological approach to the Michael Myers mythos. It concerned the town of Haddonfield and what effect the events of the first two films had on its citizens. This concept was later rejected by producers in favor of the typical slasher fare, at which point Carpenter left the film, making this the first in the series to have no participation from him. I mean, he's too busy making big movies. It had a budget of $5 million, and it brought in only 17 in the U.S. So this is the first time. A big budget increase, right? Double. Yep. We're at mm-hmm. $5 million now. Brings in $17 million in the U.S. One final thing I want to say about Halloween 4. So at the end of it, Jamie, you know, everybody survives, right? Woohoo. Not everybody survives, but Jamie survives. Woohoo. Great. Then she sort of unprovoked, puts on her mask. She's got on her costume and everything. Oh, yeah takes a butcher knife and tries to kill her foster mother. And it's sort of like, oh, Jamie has the gene, right? She was a Myers. She's his niece. Whatever this genetic evil disease is, Jamie has it. They also definitively kill Michael Myers at the end of four. How do they do that? I think this is when he's burning in the hole. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Because they like there's like the chasing out of town. Yeah, this I, is when the hole happens. It's like he's in a hole and I think there's a hand grenade involved. Yeah, there is. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. And like there's a and there's like gas can or something because yes. there's a grenade and fire and all these things that definitively kill him. And so when we then see Jamie dressed up as a clown as yep. a child attempting murder on her family which we think is murder, but gets retconned later. You're like, oh, wow, the torch is now passed. We now have a new slasher in the franchise. Exactly. John Carpenter finally had his way. Right. Okay, so Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers from 1989. The fifth film follows Jamie, again, Laurie's daughter, but Jamie Lee does not return. So the fifth film picks up when Jamie's in a mental health facility. I do want to interject for a moment. Uh, and say that we don't start with her in the mental institution. We start right at the end of where Michael Myers was supposed to die. Oh, so that's how you get him crawling through the roof Exactly. System. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they blow him up at the hole. He like starts digging through and he finds some underground caves and roots. And he pulls himself into the river. Plops into the river. Plop. Puts out his flames. Floats away. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, gotcha. That's how they make it plausible that Michael Myers is not dead. But there's also like a long time gap while she, while uh, Jamie's in the, the mental mental institution. The whole idea is like, where is Michael Myers the whole time? Well, they show you this mm. in the stupidest way possible. He's found by like a woodsland trapper. A woodsland trapper. <laughs> and uh, like he brings him into his shack and like nurses him back to health. And, you know, one day Michael just sits up and like the guy is not surprised at all. So presumably this is not the first time Michael's been awake. Right. And you're thinking, oh, they're like friends now. Yeah. But no, Michael just kills him real quick and leaves. Uh, and that's it. Michael. It's like, oh, okay, gotcha. So you've just been hanging out, eating, eating, eating some, some free lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and now, okay, now you're back to Haddonfield. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so one thing that's established in the fifth film is that Jamie now has a telepathic link to Myers which Dr. Loomis quickly discovers. And it's set one year after the events of four. After sort of, to your point, he goes through the whole thing with the fisherman or the woodsland guy. Woodsland trapper. And yeah, and then the main meat of the action is a year later. 
One exciting moment is the return to the old Myers house, which we hadn't really seen since the first film. Mm. And though largely the film was not thought of as a success, and in fact paused the entire series for six years. With a budget of $5 million, it only brought in $11 million in the U.S., the lowest grossing film in the entire franchise. Fun fact, it was the last film in the series to have a pumpkin in the credits until Halloween 2018, which is stupid because I don't know why any of them wouldn't have that, but that's fine. The pumpkin gags are fun. I'm surprised that there's such a large time gap between five and six because they floated into each other. Because they're, the idea is, I think, that they get kidnapped by that cult for like six years. Oh, they don't flow into each other. They, it's a continuation of the story, but yeah, there's the actual six-year gap. Yeah. Is it six years? It's confusing. They go from being children to being adults having children, and they say, <laughs> it's been six years. Yeah. But they Ugh. seem older than six years. She seems older than 12. She or... goes from like 10 to birthing a child. Yeah. And looking early 20s yeah mid 20s i don't know yeah it's actually a different it's been six years there's six years between the films and so they explain it away by saying it's been six years but it Hadn't doesn't match been quiet the actors and the plot yeah folks this is a confusing bit <laughs> in the halloween timeline just glance over all this it doesn't matter okay so let's move into the final film that i think of the weakest timeline yep <laughs> So Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, 1995. I was really looking forward to this film. I knew that there was going to be all this cult shit. It, there's some interesting things, but I don't know. Okay. So beyond the lackluster response of the fifth film, legal battles also delayed The Curse of Michael Myers. Oh. And the production itself also seems to be cursed because it required lengthy reshoots. Mm. This film finally tries to take on some of the gimmicky horror filmmaking of the time. Long story short, Michael Myers, right, gets involved with the Curse of Thorn, and he's very uh, subservient to it, which I think is well, very bizarre. The, the, what I did like about this is, like, this is when they started to go deep into the mythos of what makes Michael Myers do what he does. Yeah. And they basically turned him into a golem. Right. Uh, that this cult would, that this, well, not this cult, it was the constellation which was tied to ancient runes. Yes. It manifested that night yep. when he first murdered his family. Yeah. Uh, his sister, rather. And then every time since then that he had acted up, it was like a constellation thing. And like this cult was responsible for like making, like safeguarding him from. Right good powered forces i don't know there's a weird creepy guy with like spurs with with yeah like metal metal toed boots and spurs and stuff and you see him walking around for the halloween five yeah and you're like oh who's this guy the gunslinger yeah but you don't see it until the end and it's it's a what a let down reveal <laughs> yeah also jamie has a baby in this movie and i i'm not i cannot tell you what the cult is trying to do but there's a lot going on Another really confusing part of this is that big plot point is Lori's aunt, uncle, and her cousins have moved into the old Myers house. So Strode, some Strodes have decided to move into the Myers house. Well, first they manifest. Right. And then they move. Right. They're there. And it's their whole, like, there's a lot of familial drama with them. The dad slaps the daughter. The daughter had a kid. It's like... It's a very unnecessary, but the interesting thing about this and maybe the best thing about this movie is that Paul Rudd is the star and it's his debut role because it was actually filmed prior to Clueless. 
Ah. And we love Paul Rudd. Despite the fact that this the the plot is a little wonky, th- some this was one of the more fun films in terms of the actual kills. So th- this was the first time that you see Michael playing his little pranks. I was just I have it in my notes. Make sure Alan talks about the laundry gag. Um, and so he had, st- I mean, he had like started right at the beginning of the franchise. Like he likes to display his kills. Yep. But, like, he goes to great lengths in this movie where he does great feats of electrical engineering uh, to make things possible. My personal favorite was the laundry machine where he does an, he, he does a hard electrical tie-in to bypass the circuit breaker so that the washer can run, but the circuit breaker is flipped off. For dramatic effect. For dramatic effect. Like, that's a lot of setup and requires a fair amount of expertise or just durability as he electrocutes himself and just doesn't get hurt. But the bummer of it is that Alan had said, like, the laundry machine is going and this terrible character, the dad that we're, like, rooting for him to die, he's coming home, right? And so we're like, great, he's gonna come home. He's gonna get killed. He hears the laundry machine. So we're like, great. We know that it's a gag, right? We know Michael's got him in his little electrical, mechanical engineering trap. Electrical engineering. In his little electrical engineering trap. We know that his wife, this guy's wife, was just killed. And so we're like, okay. Alan goes, okay, well, the head's got to be in the washing machine, right? It's clunking around, yeah. Right. The guy opens the washing machine. It's just dirty sheets. Like, they had blood on them from when he killed the mom. Like, he just was washing the sheets that got blood on them. Like, he didn't even put a body part in the washing machine. It was such a letdown. No, because definitively, because he hid her somewhere else in the attic. Yeah, but it was just like... Or on the roof. It was somewhere else. Just dirty sheets. Yeah, it was ridiculous, but... It was silly. Later on, he strings up a body in the... In a tree. In a tree. A tree that's in the middle of a festival. Middle of a festival, wraps them in Christmas lights. Yeah. Runs all the power up to the tree to power the Christmas lights. Yeah. I mean, we're making some assumptions here, but how else can you do it? You he know? climbs this tree with a, with a dead body covered in Christmas lights in the middle of a festival and nobody notices. I mean, he... Until a little girl standing below it and she's like, mommy, why is it raining blood? Very dramatic. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting passionate. As you should. I just appreciate Michael's little pranks. And he he does have the well-established feat of being not noticed despite being incredibly conspicuous. Right. How many times is he just standing there in the background or oh my God. right next to people? And Literally no idea. always. Literally the whole movie. He's got a gift. <laughs> despite, yeah, his white face and his metallic knife. I'd like to think that he just like takes off his mask and then puts on like a hard hat and just like starts doing all these things. <laughs> you also said when we were watching this movie that when there's jack-o'-lanterns inside, it means that people have been killed in that location. Or people are going to be killed in that right, location. Right, like a foreshadowing. It, so, I mean, that is, I don't know how true that is. That is just a pattern that I was recognizing. Mm-hmm. Whenever there are, yeah, jack-o-lanterns inside the home. Right. Not outside, inside the home. Bad news. Bad news. Because usually the jack-o'-lantern is going to be used in some form later on for the killing or they're going to like put it on the head or something. Yeah, yeah. It's foreshadowing. So the curse of Michael Myers had a budget of $5 million and it brought in $15 million in the U.S. Unfortunately, most of the cast and crew hate the film. 
In an anniversary special, they revealed that the producers and higher-ups argued so much that it resulted in a poorly directed final product. Um, Yeah, I get it. Uh, This is from IMDb. Danielle Harris, who is the actress who plays Jamie... Like, was really excited to... She wanted to come back. She doesn't come back into this film to play Jamie, but she really wanted to. It Uh had been six years. She felt like she was old enough. And the character they wanted to play was 18, right? They wanted Jamie to be 18. Okay. The actress was 17. Oh. And so, the reason she didn't come back is actually really annoying. So, of the studio. Danielle Harris says in an interview that... When her agent found out, right, that the filmmakers wanted someone who was at least 18 to play Jamie, she, like, went through this whole thing to, like, legally emancipate herself from her parents so that she could work longer hours, she wouldn't have to go to school. Like, the whole thing that they wanted someone who was 18 was that she could be on set, she didn't have to worry about school, that kind of thing. So she legally emancipated herself. She went through this whole thing. She spent thousands of dollars and all this time on this legal process to Uh do this. And ultimately, she turned down the film... Because, A, of her, like, dissatisfaction with the character in the film, but also because Dimension, like, the film studio, refused to pay a salary that would have, like, covered her legal fees. So, over $5,000, they wouldn't pay her $5,000. They wouldn't pay her $5,000. Correct. So, she also uh, eventually befriended J.C. Brandy, who is the actress who took on the role of Jamie in this film. Uh Uh-huh. And J.C. Brandy said that she was treated poorly on set because Harris had turned down the role. So it's just like this whole fucked up situation around sure, it's the drama. character of Jamie. Hollywood yeah. drama. It's not Hollywood, but you know what I mean? Yeah. B horror film drama. It's just horror film drama. Yeah. <laughs> Bad. Just people. This is this is like the perfect level of budget. Yeah. When it's a lot of money, but not enough to do it right. Right. So there's a lot of stress and. Yeah mistreatment of people Mm -hmm. okay so that concludes right the first and in my opinion far worse timeline of halloween yeah so that was halloween one two four five six yep three is its own island okay so alan i think that we should put a pin in this discussion we've been talking about this for so long oh my goodness (laughs) too long no we're gonna put a pin in this because there's a lot of films in the halloween franchise and we are giving them all right their moment so we're gonna put a pin in this and we're gonna come back with a part two sounds good okay thank you guys so much for listening be safe have a spooky time and we'll talk to you soon bye bye Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok, and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.